Amen. Go ahead and flip your sheet over there. We're going to be in Luke chapter number 8. Luke chapter... Now, what we've been doing is, on Wednesday nights, we've kind of been um, looking at the life of Jesus. And, and we're not hitting everything, but we, we've already covered before Jesus' earthly ministry. And here, now, we're going to talk about some things from when he actually started his earthly ministry. Uh, and uh, we won't, again, we won't be hitting every single one, but we're going to be touching on uh, a few of these. And I love this chapter. If there's a, just an awesome chapter in the Bible, it's Luke chapter 8. I encourage you to just go home tonight and just read Luke chapter 8. It's absolutely amazing everything that's in this one chapter. These 56 verses are powerful, practical, and their personal portrait of the character and the grace and the goodness of God and of Jesus. It's just amazing what we see here. And we also here in chapter 8, we have the trilogy of miracles. We've got a demonized man. We've got a diseased woman. We've got a dead girl all right here. And every single one of these healings, we see the passion of Jesus' heart, his compassion for people, how he cares about people. Can I ask you all a question real quick? People ever get on your nerves? Woo. Well, not me. All right. I was just wondering. I just want to see what I was dealing with. Oh, people get on your nerves. I just, sometimes I feel like we just need to say it out loud, right? Oh, doesn't that feel better? But it's like I shared with you guys, and one time I was talking with Amber, and I remind myself of this often when, whenever I'm in God's Word, is that the whole point of the whole thing is people. The, the most important thing in this life is people. That's what it's all about. People, the very ones that wear our nerves and fray us and just, just wear us out. At the end of the day, it's all about people. Jesus died for people. Jesus loves people, even the annoying ones that get on your nerves. Your nerves, not mine. Okay. And so this is a great reminder of how much Jesus cares about people. And we, what we've got here tonight is a simple little story. I love this story because there's some things that aren't really explained in, in, and uh, told to us here, but this simple little story about a woman who touched the hem of Jesus's garment and was completely healed uh, from this problem she was having. It's a story of healing. It's a story of forgiveness. One, I heard one black preacher say it one time. He said that there was more healing in the hem of Jesus's uh, garment than all the drugstores in America. And I like that. So look with me in Luke chapter 8 and verse 43. Luke chapter 8 and verse 43. It says, Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment. And immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, it's always Peter, by the way. All right. Master, the multitudes throng and press you, and you say, Who touched me? But Jesus said, Somebody touched me, for I perceived power going out from me. Verse 47. Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now, all right. So here we have this incredible story of a woman who had a hemorrhage that was lasting for 12 long years. And then Dr. Luke here points out that she'd already spent all her money uh, on doctors. She's been all the doctors, the specialists, the therapists. She's taken every pill, every procedure. She's probably drank every potion 
All right, she's done it all, right? She probably even went down to the local Coliseum where the local televangelist with his toupee on his head came up and hit her on the head or blew in her face and healed her. And it didn't work. In spite of all that, the Bible says she was actually getting worse. We'll talk about that some more. But if you've ever had any kind of physical problem, you can probably relate to this, especially one that maybe wasn't easily diagnosed. You're like, what's wrong with me? Why can't the doctors? Like the last time I was sick, it was super nice. I went to the doctor and they stuck a thing up my nose and came back, flu B. Right? I had an answer. I knew what was wrong with me. But many times it doesn't work like that, does it? It's not just one little doctor's visit and we've got everything figured out. Right? And so this woman is struggling year after year after year after year. And uh, it says she spent all her money on seeing the various doctors. And she probably, it's like Walter Matthau said, uh, what was it? The doctor gave me six months to live. Right? When I told him I couldn't pay the bill, he gave me six more. Have you heard that before? But see, and even here, let me, in, in the original language, it's not that she's just going to, uh, don't picture this as going to reputable doctors. She did that. This is a woman who has exhausted every avenue of anything, right? Whatever popped up on Facebook, she was trying it, right? Whatever the latest, greatest health fad, whatever anybody said, you go down here and see this witch doctor down here, and they'll be able to hook you up, okay? She's desperate. That's what I want you to see. And then one day, and she's out of hope, 12 years, and she hears those words, Jesus is coming. I mean, like, who's coming? Jesus is coming. And then here he comes. And all of a sudden, this little woman of desperation and um, no hope, no help, and she just immediately goes to Christ, and she's personally permanent. She's healed immediately. It's amazing. I mean, it's absolutely amazing what happens here. But I, what, I, what I want you to understand tonight is there's a lot more to this story than a sick woman who got healed by Jesus. Now, if that was all that we're seeing here, that's enough. Okay? That's enough, but there's a lot more to the story that we get to see. Matter of fact, it's really one of the most applicable stories of uh, all the stories that we have in the Bible. Uh, this is a picture of everybody who doesn't know Jesus. That's why we have this perfect picture of everybody who does not have Christ. So let's look at it. Number one, the first thing, circle this in your notes, the sickness. Again, if you were to look up the word misery in the Hebrew dictionary, you would see this lady's face. She is miserable. Her thing, what was that old hee-haw? Gloom, despair, and what? Magnum, whoa! Oh, bunch of rednecks, amen? I'm kidding, I'm kidding. And um, she's sick, and she's miserable. Hey, write this down, write this down. She was diseased, y'all. She was diseased. Look again at uh, verse 43, Luke 8, 43. It says, now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years. Now, imagine that for just a second. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days out of the year. Not one year, two years, five years, 10 years. For 12 years, this woman is bleeding. And I'm telling you, I believe she's literally bleeding to death. She had a blood disease, and the continual loss of blood is eventually going to kill her. Now, you may be thinking, I don't know. Hey, y'all think this story is icky? I do. Just me. The rest of y'all love stories about women bleeding for 12 years and can't stop. Have you thought about that? Am I the only one who thinks like that? As a kid, this is my least favorite story in all the Bible. I'm just like, TMI, Lord. I'm just moving on. I don't understand this, right? But this is a tragic situation, but it, it applies to all of us. 
Now, she has a disease that's killing her. We were born with a disease that's killing us. The Bible calls it sin. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6, 23, For the wages of sin is death. Matter of fact, not in this gospel, in Luke, but in the gospel of Mark, Mark tells us that she's getting worse. And when Mark tells the story, he actually points out, it's not just like she's bleeding, but she's bleeding more and more. It's getting worse and worse, and she's getting weaker and weaker. But that's exactly what sin will do to you in your life. Sin will break you down, tear you down, wear you down, and it'll eventually take your life. B, write this down. Not only does she have a disease, man, but she was broke. Broke. Have you ever been broke? Imagine being broke and diseased. Can't find a cure. Some of y'all are like, right now, brother. I just gave you $5 Chick-fil-A. Look at Luke chapter 8, verse, I'm kidding. Verse 43, Luke 8, 43 says, Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years who had spent all her livelihood on physicians who could not be healed by any. She spent all her wealth trying to get back her health. Have you ever seen that before? Right? When we lose our health, we give up all our wealth just to have that health back. Um, I heard uh, um, this happened to uh, my mother-in-law one time. She went to the doctor. I can't even look at her now. I should have said it. She went to the doctor, you know, and, and everything. She went home, and, and sometime later, the doctor called her and said, Mrs. Crawford, I'm sorry to tell you, but your check came back. And she said, so did my arthritis, and she hung up the phone. Amen. <laughs> she don't pay for nothing, y'all. She's cheap. Listen, this lady in this story didn't have Blue Cross, Blue Shield. She didn't have Obamacare, Medicaid, Medicare. She had nothing. There was no safety net for her at all, right? She had spent all that she had. Let me, know, let me tell you what that teaches me. Uh, sin not only kills, but it costs. There's not a more expensive thing in the world than sin. Let's be honest. Sin is the most expensive thing in America. If it wasn't for sin, I'd, trust me, our national debt could go away because it's a sin how them politicians keep adding to it, but that's besides the point. Or the state of Tennessee. What if sin just disappeared from West Tennessee? The impact that it has on our economy, us paying for sin and the consequences of sin. But look at this next slide. Adrian Rogers used to say there's a high cost to low living. Sin will cost you your reputation. It'll cost you a good night's sleep. Sin will cost you your marriage. Sin will cost you your family. Sin will cost you your health. Sin will cost you your wealth. Sin will cost you your fellowship with God. And if you don't give up your sin at some point, it'll cost you your soul. Everything, everything. There's an earthly cost to sin, and it can be an eternal cost. Um, but again, this woman, she's not getting better. She's getting worse and worse. And the same thing is true about sin in our life. Look at this next slide. Sin never gets better on its own. Sin only gets worse. It only gets worse. A lot of people try to take care of their sin problem on their own without taking it to Jesus. You hear it all the time. Oh yeah, I preach against it all the time. It just wears me out. I'm gonna be honest. People, people ever get on your nerves? Not me. You know, often people will say something like this. I know that I'm not living right, or I know this thing isn't right, and but once I get straightened out, right, I'll go back to church, or I'll get right with God. In other words, they think I've got to fix the thing and then come to Jesus. But if you wait to fix the thing before you come to Jesus, you're never coming to Jesus. 
if this woman had waited until she fixed her, her blood disease, if she had waited until she fixed that to come to Jesus, she would have never gotten healed because she could have never fixed it on her own. And we can't fix ourselves on our own. We can't fix the sin in our life on our own. But what happens is sin comes in, even in the life of, of a believer, and that kind of that separation from God, because we know we've got sin and we have that distance from God. And then rather with being honest with ourselves and honest with God and dealing with that sin, we just get further and further away. And we kind of lie to ourselves. I'll fix it. I'll fix it. Sin never gets better. It only gets worse. You can't take care of your problems. Jesus can. I love what Jesus said. Look at Luke 5, 32 there in your notes. He said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. With that, you know, I used to read that as a child, and I used to think, oh, see, Jesus isn't worried about the good people. He's only after the bad people. That's not what that means. You can't have Christ unless you know you're a sinner. He can't do anything for you unless you know that you're a sinner. You can't be forgiven of something that you don't recognize that you are. Christ can't forgive my sin if I don't acknowledge that I have sin. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And knowing that we're sinners, the first step of being saved. Many times when I meet with children and share the gospel with them, the first thing I ask them is, what's sin? Can you tell me what sin is? Because if you don't know what sin is, then surely you can't be forgiven of the thing that you don't even know what it is. See, write this down. Also, I want you to notice this woman was desperate. Desperate. Luke says that when she saw Jesus, look at verse 44. It says she came from behind and touched the border of his garment. Listen, here's how I know that she was desperate. In that day, in that time, if anybody in that crowd had recognized this woman, realized who she was, realized the problem that she had, they would have stoned her on the spot because this woman was unclean, 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 Right? Uh, it's not in your notes. You can find that in Leviticus chapter 15. This woman's unclean. And she's sure enough, she shouldn't be in a crowd like that. She's sure enough ought not to be touching a man. She's unclean. But she's willing to do anything, risk everything, just to get to Jesus, just to touch the hem of his garment so that she could be healed. Look at this next slide. God had taken her to a place where he was her only hope. Sometimes the only way that God can get a person's attention is, and break their pride issue is to put them in a situation where the doctors can't help, the lawyers can't help, right? The banker can't help, and the family can't help. All you have is God, right? If God doesn't step in, you're done. And that's what God does sometimes. Sometimes he takes us to that place. Sometimes God does it to his children. He'll take you to that place where you've allowed sin to come in and you've allowed that separation and you've kind of drifted away from God. I'll fix it. I'll fix it. I'll fix it. God will get you to that point of desperation where you have to turn back to God. For some people, it's going to take the doctor looking at an x-ray and there's a spot on it or maybe losing a job. The finance is going bad or losing a loved one. The prodigal son almost starved to death before it occurred to him, I'm going to my daddy's house. Listen, y'all, if I had to skip lunch, I'd go to my daddy's house. How about that? But he almost starved to death before he realized, he, I need to humble myself and go home. Go home. The Philippian jailer was almost killed by an earthquake before he said, hey, what do I got to do to be saved? All right? I, I just love this woman in this the story, though, she didn't care when, she didn't care how. All she knew was who, Jesus. She wanted to be healed. Now, I put this in my notes so I wouldn't miss it, but 
I'm very, like, when we get up here and preach, and I think all pastors have this, understand this, when, when you preach and you're sharing the gospel and sharing the word and all of that, uh, people aren't going to get saved until they recognize they have a sin problem, like what we talked about just a moment ago, right? And when people recognize that they have a sin problem, they reach that little finger of faith and touch the hem of heaven, that's when they can be healed. And that leads me to number two. Circle this in your notes. The touch. Here she is. She's diseased. She's broke. She's desperate. And she's moving through. I think she threw a couple of elbows getting through that. Because the, the scripture, the picture in the original language, I mean, he is absolutely swamped, covered up, just pressed in with people, right? People all around Jesus. I think she threw a couple of holy elbows, right? Uh, maybe a hallelujah kick. Right? And she got, she got in there, right? Because she was going to touch Jesus as him. And then she was totally, wonderfully healed. But here's what I want you to see. Hey, write this down. I want you to see. She was healed immediately. It wasn't a slow healing. She, it wasn't a week later. And she's like, you know what? I finally quit bleeding. She was healed instantly. Look at verse 44. It says, and immediately her flow of blood stopped. You know what that, mean? You know what that teaches me? The moment you do business with God, he does business with you. And some of us, the reason why God hasn't done business with us is because we haven't done business with him. But when you do, in that moment, God will do business with you, guaranteed. She wasn't progressively healed. The Bible says she touched it, and it's just like that. Immediately, she knew that she was healed. You talk to people sometime, and you say, hey, when did you get saved? And they're like, well, I just kind of grew into it over time. No, you didn't. That's not how it works. It scares me to death. I've got, we've got a relative. And she claims she, she's never felt far from God. She never felt like she needed to get saved. That she's always been saved. And she's not. How do I know? Because of what she said. I just always felt close to God. I've never felt like I needed to give my... I've just always felt like I was saved. Listen, that's just not the way it happens. There's no such thing as growing into Christianity. There's no such thing. Listen, you grow in your maturity. You grow closer to God as a believer. There has to be a time where you decide for Jesus. And so it doesn't happen that you slowly decide for Jesus. There has to be a point and a place in time. No such thing as gradually becoming a Christian. There's no middle ground, no middle road. Have you ever read the New Testament? Have you read the book of Acts? There is no middle kind of sort. I'm a little Christian, but I'm a little pagan. Right? You aren't partly saved and partly lost, or slightly saved and slightly lost, or mostly saved and only partly lost, or any other combination. Look at this next slide. You are either saved or you're lost. There is no middle ground. Salvation is kind of like being pregnant. You is or you ain't. I'm kind of pregnant. Salvation is kind of like being married. You is or you ain't. If you think I'm kind of married, turn look at the look at her and tell her. <laughs> See how that goes. Salvation is like that. Now listen, you know, some of these preachers, you know, um, They'll say, you, you know, you, the exact moment, exact, you may not know what hour it was. You may not know what day it was. You may not even know what, remember what month. Maybe you got saved and you're a 10-year-old kid. But there's a time, there's a place, there's a point in your life that you can go, I was down there and so-and-so, and I knew it, and I gave my heart to Christ at that point. You may not know what color the carpet was, but you need to know 
There's a time and place for you that you gave your heart to Christ. That's where I met Jesus. Because if you can't do that, if there's not a time in, in your life where you know this is when I surrendered my life to Christ, uh, one thing I do know according to the Bible is you're not saved, man. And so you might as well do it tonight. Reach out your hand of faith and touch the hem of his garment. Let him heal you, man, of your sin and save you forever. Because look, write this down. She was healed personally. See, it's a personal thing. Your wife can't be saved for you. Your husband can't be saved for you. Granny cannot be saved for you. Church membership doesn't save you. It's an individual personal issue. The Bible says there's this great big crowd that surrounded Jesus that day. Do you think she was the only sick one that showed up? Do you think she was the only one there that had any medical problem that Jesus could have helped with? And yet she's the only one there that we read about being healed. Why was it that some people thronged around Jesus? And the thing is, she reached out and touched his hand, but you know other people were touching him, right? That's why Peter, I love Peter, he always opens his mouth. What are you talking about, Jesus? There's people all, all around you, and you're saying somebody touched me? It's like everybody here is touching you. But why was she the only one uh, that, that left healed? Others came sick, and they left sick. Some came blind and probably left blind. There might have been some lame ones that were there, and they left lame. And why would they come that close to Jesus and then leave sick and blind and lame just like they were before? But she didn't. I mean, why did they even come? Why did they come to Jesus sick, blind, lame, or whatever the case was? Because you know they were there. Why did they even bother going? We talked about Easter. It drives me crazy. Easter breaks my heart more than any other holiday, okay? And I'm a Christmas guy. I know it's wrong. I'm a Baptist preacher. I'm supposed to be an Easter guy. I love Easter, but Christmas is my favorite because I had babies. Amen? I love Christmas with my babies and with Mama Baby and Amber Baby and Marcus. I love Christmas. Because I remember when I was a bachelor, I kind of gave up on Christmas. Any of y'all remember that? And then God gave me a family. I love me some Christmas. Amen. And, um, and Easter's great. <laughs> I mean, I love Easter, but it's not the same thing, right? Christmas is what Christmas is, and plus, it's family. And Easter is too, but to a lesser extent. Does that make sense? It's the resurrection. That's the whole thing. So when it comes to holidays, I really like Christmas. But in Easter, you know, we're going to fill that building up over there. And, uh, I mean, God will. And what's going to break my heart is knowing, and it just kills me, is knowing that people are going to walk in there and we're going to sing some songs about Jesus. Right? And we're going to sing songs and we're going to praise Jesus. And I know, because unless, you know, this happens all the time, that people are going to come in and they're going to sing, you know, or lip sync the, the praises of the very God who is going to judge them and send them to hell. Because just like these people, they're going to come close. They're going to be thronging around Jesus. They're going to be there at Easter because here in West Tennessee, you go to church on Easter. And you got to be a bad pagan not to go to church on Easter. I don't want anybody to think I'm a bad pagan, just a regular pagan. I'm going to church. And when they go, they're going to sing songs of their own damnation. Because they're coming close, but they're not going all the way. Just like those people. She was healed because she was healed by faith. She was there for the right reason. Jesus, heal me. But so many are going to come, not for the right reason. I'm, I want them to come and respond. But so many people are this close to Jesus. 
And it's not going to do them any good at all. And again, they're singing their own damnation, singing songs about Jesus. And we talked about it Sunday, but you know, he's not, he is not the lamb that you see in the Gospels. When Jesus comes back, he will judge, and he will rule, and he will reign, and he will do it righteously. And the unrighteous, those apart from Christ, will spend an eternity in hell. Just as sure as I'm standing here. And I believe that with all of my heart. So it just breaks my heart thinking about people praising his name with their lips and not with their hearts. Knowing that those very songs that they're singing speak of a salvation they don't know anything about. Why do people come? Some people are curious. Some people it's just convenient. They didn't have anything better to do. Some come because somebody else talks them into it. And you should. If you have to talk somebody to come to church, you should do that. Talk them into it, man. Buy them lunch afterwards. Get them under the sound of the gospel where they might be saved. Instead of being close to Jesus, they might go all the way. But there's this one little lady in this crowd who didn't come to see. She didn't come because it's what you do. right? She came to receive a blessing. Look at this next line. The difference between that crowd and that little lady is the difference between the flesh and faith. The difference between flesh and faith. And like, even like tonight, you know, did you come in your flesh or your faith? Right? Did we come, did we come in our Chick-fil-A or did we come in our faith? Does that make sense? Right? Or, what is our attitude towards God? Flesh or faith? How can you tell the difference? I'll tell you. The flesh wants to see a sign. Faith just wants to touch the Savior. Faith just wants to touch Jesus. Look at this next line. Jesus didn't feel her hand, man. He felt her heart. He knew she was. He knew what she was going through. and He knew what she needed. Many were around him, but only one really touched him. Many were watching, just like on Sunday morning, there'd be many watching but only some are worshiping. Some are right there standing right next to Jesus. They're so close and they're so far away. Some of those people standing next to Jesus would have beat that woman to death for coming to Jesus. So close to Jesus and so far away. And it's kind of like that with church. Close to being saved, far away. And it just scares me to death to think about it. People coming to church and leaving lost and going to hell. But they're going to have to go over us to get there. See, write this down. Also, I want you to see she knew that she was healed. She knew it. I love it, I love it, I love it. She knew that she was healed. Not only did she get healed immediately, but she knew it. If Jesus, listen, if you touch Jesus, Jesus touches you, you're going to know it. You're not going to have to guess about it. You'll know it. Somebody said, Brother Marcus, how do you know that you're saved? It's easy. I was there when it happened. The Bible says that not only can you be saved, but you can be sure. Look at this next slide. You'll never be satisfied with your salvation until you're sure of your salvation. And Scripture is clear. You can be sure of your salvation. I think about Adrian Rogers again and that time where he got saved as a young boy. Uh, entered in a revival service. And then uh, later on in his life as a teenager, he began to doubt his salvation. He wasn't really sure. And he's walking a football field late at night one night, just walking around that football field. And finally, he got down on his face on that football field. And he said he almost dug a hole so he could stick his nose in it and get as low as he could. And he's like, God, 
you know, if I got saved back then, thank you. But if I didn't, if there's something missing, if I didn't fully surrender my life to you, I'm doing it now. And then later on in life, he says, you know, I probably got saved as a little boy, right? As a young boy. He said, but after that night on the football field, I knew, I was sure, and I was satisfied. Number three, write this down. The third thing we see here is the confession. Now, this is where a lot of believers fall off. Confession. If this, look at this next slide. Let's kind of summarize this whole thing. It's where abounding faith is always met by amazing grace and the result is salvation. Look at verse 45. Jesus said, who touched me? It sounds like your kid's in the back seat, doesn't it, a little bit? She touched me. Okay, sorry. It, it really does if you keep reading it. Uh, Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied it. I didn't touch her. All right. Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you, and you say, who touched me? But Jesus said, somebody touched me, for I perceived power going out from me. Now, how did, did Jesus not know who touched him? Of course he knew who touched him. Then why did he go through the uh, crowd? Who touched me? Who touched me? Is he looking for attention? Did he want to make sure that he got credit for a miracle? No. Look at this next slide. The reason that Jesus acknowledged this woman is because he wanted her to acknowledge him, to confess him, confess what he had done for her. He gave her a cure. She owed him a confession. I want you to hear that. He gave her a cure. She owed him a confession. The Christian faith is based on confession, not the Catholic sense of the word. That's not what I'm talking about, going in and confessing to some priest or whatever. But when we give our hearts and our lives to Jesus, when he saves us, he wants us to confess that openly and publicly and so that we can make that known. That's why, I don't know if you know this or not, on Sunday mornings, if you've been here at Grace on Sunday mornings with the invitations, we follow a very similar pattern, not every Sunday, but most Sundays. And the pattern goes like this. We have the message, then we have an application uh, um, invitation for believers, right? You know, whatever the sermon's dealing with. Then we always give a, a salvation-specific invitation. And then what I always say is this. And so if you're right there and you know that you want to pray to receive Christ, you know that you need Jesus, I just want to pray with you. Between me, you, and God, I just want to pray. Just slip your hand up right there in your seat. Slip your hand up. Every Sunday, hands go up. Okay? And then, after that, we always do encourage them to make it public. So maybe you just made a decision for Christ. You need to follow through and be what? Baptized. That public profession that you're not ashamed of Christ. You need to be baptized. Maybe you've prayed at another service or some other time. You need to come and make that decision uh, public. To publicly confess Christ, right? And then we, you know, join the church and things like that. We do the invitation pretty similarly. I want you to see that this is where we get that from. To raise your hand, right? Every head bowed, every eye closed, right? Raise your hand if you want to pray to receive Jesus Christ right now. I want to pray with you. I won't call you out. I won't sing you out, blah, 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 blah. And they raise their hand. See, in my mind, when they raise their hand, they're touching the hymn of Jesus. Save me, Jesus. Right? And then when they come forward and publicly confess their faith in Christ and their desire to follow through in baptism, you have when Jesus was going around and saying, who touched me? Who touched me? And she had to publicly confess, it was, Jesus. It was me, Jesus. I did it. He already knew who it was. The Christian faith is based upon that confession that those who have been touched by Christ, those who have touched Jesus, will make it public and not be ashamed and follow through. Baptism, and, um, and just making that, that 
that decision public. He wouldn't let her get away with it. Why would he let you? Pretending. Now, we, if you're a believer, the confession is part of the Christian faith as well. He expects us to live in such a way that every day of our life is a confession to the goodness of God. That's why those people we talked about that get on our nerves. Well, you did. I didn't. Right? When we love people for Jesus, even when it's hard, and we love people for Jesus, even when it's difficult, when we say no to things that we should, uh, we should say no to, right? And we say yes to things we should say yes to. Every day, that life is a confession of the goodness of God and the fact that he has touched our lives and he's changed us and made us new in Christ Jesus. Amen? I can't wait to meet this woman. I can't wait to hear her version of the story. Amen? I bet it's going to be wonderful. Let's go ahead and let's stand. We'll be dismissing a word of prayer. What we're going to do, guys, is immediately following this, we're going to have our business meeting time. And so uh, we'll dismiss for five minutes, and then we'll come back together and have our time of business, okay? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you for this woman. God, that she trusted you and that you healed her and that she confessed you. Uh, help us to do that. Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, Lord, I just pray they surrender their life to you and they make that decision public and follow through and do exactly what you've called them to do in confessing you as their Lord and Savior. God, help us as believers to, to live a life of confession where we're just living in the light of who you've called us to be and we're surrendered to your will. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for being here.